Namaste, yogis and friends. I'm Kino McGregor. And I'm Tim Feldman. And we would like to welcome you to Miami Life Centers podcast. Hey, everyone. So before I play this recording, uh, Tim did a while back on the beauty of having a teacher. It's not the best quality, I wanted to let you know. I tried looking for something to clean it up a little bit, and I couldn't find anything. I'm kind of an amateur in all of this, but I decided to get it up anyways. It's not the best quality, but I figured you guys would appreciate the content. It's a really good talk. So I'm sorry about the quality. Let me know if you have any suggestions, anything to help clean up these types of audios. But for now, just focus on Tim's voice and not on the constant buzzing noise in the background. Uh, and you'll be fine. I hope you enjoy. Truth. That's the first line. Asat Toma Sat Truth Gamaya. Second line is Tamas Soma Yutir Gamaya. Tamas means sickness, dullness, darkness. And um, so, <clears throat> according to yoga, we are sick and we live in darkness. And the teacher <laughs> is there to help us get from this. Sickness, this dullness, this uh, darkness, uh, this ignorance, this unknowing, and into a place of light, a place where we thrive, a place where we have information to um, take care of ourselves, <clears throat> a place where there is uh, beauty and poetry. Yeah. And the last one says, Mrit Yorma Amritam Gamaya. So, Mrit Yor is poison, and Amrita is the divine nectar. And these two are like symbols, ideas, uh, concepts that uh, this state that we live in is like a poisoned state. As if we have a poison inside of us where we cannot see what's right and wrong. And therefore we are not able to live fully uh, satisfying lives. We have a hard time to get happy. There's obstacles in front of us uh, like, a, um, a, like a poison that sits within us. Um, and that we are trying to remove this poison of conditioned existence and trying to instead <clears throat> um, start to let uh, Amrita, divine nectar, begin to fill us up, to drip into our lives, to drip into our uh, body, to drip into our minds and our hearts, so we can live by divine nectar, by light and by truth instead of ignorance, darkness, and in a poisoned state. <laughs> yeah, you can see these guys, they're like pretty ambitious, right? So uh, that's the idea. So <clears throat> when you come here and you start to take a yoga class, we are, all of us, all of the teachers that you meet here are tuned into that idea, to that concept. All your teachers here goes to India once a year approximately and studies with the Sharat before the Guruji. This is Irene's Warhol, Guruji by Warhol. So we go there to learn these things and subject ourselves to these things and try to remove that darkness and that black sickness that uh, surrounds our brains in general. Um, so we're trying to do much more than just teach you movements. We're trying to do much more than just give you a slimmer belly. We're trying to do much more than improving your digestion and your workouts mode. Um, but 
the way that we're doing is it is we are using the body we're using soma we're using um, physicality we, we're using physicality to uh, move to transcend physicality physicality so to speak like an example could be you go into the yoga class you start to after a while you start to feel really good you start to obtain some goals in regards to how you want your physicality to feel like to look like so forth you meet other people who's on the journey you have it uh, you're in a community where people are generally positive and trustworthy and coming to work for the better rather than for the worse and slowly that creates some kind of appreciation some kind of gratitude some kind of desire to move in that direction ourselves so now suddenly the physical aspect that we started out with starts to become this like psychological almost spirited place that we go to does it make any sense and as we practice more and more and longer and longer that tends to take root and tends to grow inside the practitioner so the physicality still becomes important but may perhaps a little bit less important all the time that often happens yeah um, so <clears throat> let me talk a little bit about this whole teacher thing and i'm thanking you for coming here today because usually making giving talks like this makes me very nervous um, it's much easier for me to go in and wrestle your arm behind your back. So much more comfortable for me to put, put you in pain in that. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to quote some, some uh, classic yoga uh, information today. And I've been looking up a little bit online and in some books. Found this book in my library that I thought this has some some good uh, information about uh, teaching. So I thought I'd, I'd quote that a little bit. And one of the things that this book starts out saying it says, <clears throat> defining a teacher. It says a teacher is the pilot as the student walks in the journey of knowledge. <clears throat> the teacher is the raft as the student rows. And I thought it was a very beautiful showing the relationship between the, the teacher, what the teacher does, and what is also expected of the student. It's not like the teacher is going to do it for you. The teacher can point you in the direction, but we still have to uh, put in the effort, we still have to row the boat, we still have to do all that. Um, and I was thinking about some of the teachers that has had a significant um, impulse in my own life, a significant uh, effect in, in my own life. Um, <clears throat> and I was thinking like when I was a kid, I was a swimmer and I had a, a swim coach. His name was Tom Sundström. And um, it was in Denmark. And um, between I was seven years old and I was 14 years old or 16 years old, I moved to three different cities or towns or suburbs um, because he changed his position as a swimming coach to these different swim teams around. Every time he moved on, I didn't stay in the club because he was such an amazing guy. I would love to, to practice with him or you know, to swim with him. So when he moved, I would go with him. 
And there's a funny story, like uh, my, my wife is completely puzzled by this story. Because he was the coach of the B team, I was on the B team. And <clears throat> I had some talent for this uh, swimming, so the A team and the club, they wanted me to move to the A team. And I didn't want to go on the A team, because on the A team, I didn't like the coach. So I was like, I'm not going. And finally, the swim team, they wrestled my arm to start on the, on the A team. And I went up there for a week, and then I said, okay, now I'll try it, now I'll move back to the B team. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife is like, you prefer to be in the B team? What's wrong with your like, but Anyway, and after that, um, much later, I met a yogi called Lino Mili from Italy, and I took one workshop with, with him. And he came up to me after the class, and he said these words, he said, you got to let me get your hands on you. And I, I was just his from that moment. I said, sure, what do I do? Where do I go? Where can we make that happen? I love the way you teach, I love what you do. If you want to take me in and teach me, I'm yours. So that was very, um, he came at a <clears throat> very appropriate at a very right time for me. During his teaching, he was always talking about Patabi Joyce, about Guruji, and uh, later um, I started to practice uh, with him. And um, one of the uh, things that Patabi Joyce, like there's so many stories about him, if I can just, just tell one little story about him, which is maybe one of my favorite uh, uh, anecdotes about how this man showed me at side of existence and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a human being and a teacher and what it means to be in emotional stability and stuff like that. So one time I was practicing in, um, in Mysore and I was in the front row that day and we were like many people in the front row. And Guruji went to the bathroom with, and the door was right next to the front row. And as he came back, he looked at the first person and he, he was an old man, he was in the 80s and he went. And he was kind of like in agreement, <laughs> but not very entertained by what he saw. And then the next one over, he went, mm. and you could see like, oh, some acknowledgement of good practice is going on there. And then the next one he saw was a man who was rushing through his practice, <clears throat> and he was doing quite advanced practice. So when we do advanced practice, there's many more responsibilities, and the teacher will be much harder on you because you have much more to, to prove for you really. Whereas the beginner, you don't need to prove anything. You just come, that's enough. Um, so to, and he was breathing very poorly. <clears throat> so to this man, Guru just stuck, and he started yelling at him. He was like, what you do, that not correct method, you bad man, you not taking <laughs> breath correctly, you know, this is not correct, no, what you, he's <laughs> left. <laughs> and then there was some lady who was obviously doing really well because she was, you not, oh, very good. Oh, <laughs> he just flickered midair. And he was like, oh, oh, very good. Then you just see the smile coming on his face. And then when he was talking to her, she started walking again. He saw the next one over, he went, mm. And then he went up to his chair, he just sat down, and then he just looked out over the shower, he was in complete quiet peacefulness. And I've just been there watching all these, these like mental like 
fluctuations of his mind going boom, 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 boom. And I thought, I thought as a yoga teacher I was supposed to be calm and quiet all the time. But um, <clears throat> but he's someone that is able to embrace all these emotional states and then just flicker through them like a baby or like a young young uh, young boy or girl. And then after that, go up and sit in his uh, chair, and then it's the residue of these emotions are just gone. And I thought, oh man, that is grace right there. That's really beautiful. So that has been very uh, uh, inspirational for me since that. That's why I always yell at Joseph. Joseph is so <laughs> <laughs> um, And um, when Guruji died, I continued studying in India, and I uh, started to study with. Uh, Sharat and Guruji was not around anymore. <clears throat> and in the beginning, I wasn't too convinced about Sharat. Not because he'd done anything wrong, but just because Guruji was in my system and I couldn't kind of just remove him from my system. So I would go to Mysore and I would miss Guruji. And I would see Sharat standing up there and he was he's younger than me also. So it was like, eh, how do I deal with this? And people said, Are you going to take Sharat as your guru? I don't know. You know. Am I going to go back to Mysore next year? Yeah. Am I going to go the year after that? I don't know. But I kept going and I kept going. <clears throat> and somewhat, uh, what ended up with that, with Sharat, in a very different way than Guruji. Like Guruji, he kind of like grabbed me. Dino grabbed me, in a way. And Sharat didn't. But slowly, Sharat grew on me. And I started to realize that the way that Sharat was teaching gave me have you read this like crazy book like from Yoga and Yoga Yogananda Paramahansa? Yogananda? Like the biography of a yogi, have you read that? You know, some people who doesn't do yoga they think it's all about this um, transcendent transcendental weird experiences kind of thing. And I haven't had many of those, but I've had the most so like he would take me deep into a backbend and then it was like, hard to describe, but like one time it was like someone threw in a little like bomb in there and it went <laughs> boom into my whole existence. I was there working and working and then it was like at the center of my experience, it just started to wipe everything out and it just became nothingness. And then in the periphery of that was me thinking and doing and trying and experiencing all that and then this just kept moving and moving and moving and just annihilating everything that I knew and everything that I experienced and I could kind of watch it as it was going and just like take becoming more and more distant to what was going on <clears throat> and first I thought I was fainting but I realized that's not what was going on <laughs> and then he said okay now for me he took me out <clears throat> so Sharat, with Sharat I've had like experiences like this which somehow makes me go home and go Hmm. There's something going on when I work with Sharat, which hasn't been going on in the same way with anyone else that I know. Um, and I'm telling you this because I think it's important for us as students to, first of all, have a teacher, but also to evaluate what we get from our teacher. Try to figure out when we go into work with a teacher, is it working for us, actually? Are we able to surrender to that teacher? Are we able to take the teachings on? Or are we just there to get flat apps? You know what I mean? Or are we just there to do what we want to do? So, 
And I'm mentioning that because in the yogic system, when we even dive down into it, now I'm not telling you that you should believe in this, that this is something you should take on or anything like that. I'm just telling you like the way that the yogic uh, system is built up. Maybe it's interesting, maybe it's not interesting, but at least then you have the, the information. So we are moving, we are working in a very old system that is built on a very strong hierarchy. And um, the, the system is called Parampara, a Guru Shisha Parampara. <clears throat> and the idea is that there is a person, that we try to find a person that can help us move towards the light, move out of the darkness, and all that kind of stuff. And that there are people like that, that has obtained knowledge which is useful for us. It is not so different from the relationship from a child to a parent. So the idea is that the guru, that the teacher knows something about us that is uh, going to uh, nurture us, for instance. And it might not always be things that we like. For instance, if you're three years old and your parents put um, kale on the table, on one plate, and then, you know, vanilla ice cream on another plate, there's no doubt about what we're going to go for. You know what I mean? As a three-year-old, there's no doubt about that vanilla ice cream is what it's all about. <laughs> and there can be no doubt. And if we remove vanilla ice cream, the, us as a three-year-old, we are going to throw a flipping flip. You know what I mean? We're going to flip out. Fit. That's right. <clears throat> and um, because we sit there with the idea that that is the best thing for us. That is what's going to work on a kind of completely intuitive level. Now, the parent, of course, knows that if they feed the us as three-year-olds vanilla ice cream every day, we're going to die, basically. <laughs> but me as a three-year-old, I have no idea about that. I just want the ice cream. So the same thing with the guru, the same thing with the teacher. Like, the idea is that the teacher knows what is good for us, and we do not know. So you will meet that in the shala way down the line, as in, can I do the next asana? And the teacher go, uh-uh-uh. That would be uh, uh, vanilla ice cream for you right now. Let's give you kale. So that could be just stay with what you've got, learn this asana instead, try to do this better, and stuff like that. <clears throat> There's many examples of that. But the idea, of course, is that the teacher, the guru, is a person who is so knowledgeable, so well-educated, so they can look through us and they can see more uh, than what we can see ourselves. Um, so there's a couple of... Um, uh, there's a couple of things that you should look for in a teacher, <coughs> according to Shastra, according to these uh, old primary texts. And one is Kalyana Mita, that your teacher should be a friendly guide. It should be a trusted friend. It should be someone that you trust based on your experience with them. Not necessarily as a leap of faith, but someone who has earned your trust, earned their value to you. And it should be someone that is interested in the bettering of you um, without any second agenda. It's not like 
I would like you to learn some really advanced asanas because then I can tell other people that my students are really advanced. So it sounds like the personal ambition of a teacher must be curved. Many other things must be curved. So the idea is that the guru, that the teacher is there for your, for our bettering only devoid of the Guruji's own aspirations in life. Yeah, does that make sense? So that is one. Also the <clears throat> the teacher must be an acharya, which means a yoga acharya, which means a yoga master. That means that he must master his subject. He must know what he's doing. If he doesn't know what he's doing, how can he teach it to you? How can he share anything? He must have done this for a long time. He must know very well. He must have personal experience. He must have great perspective in what he's teaching. He must have uh, uh, learned from a teacher himself, preferably. No, necessarily. And um, he must be able to uh, embody that all that knowledge. Um, and the other other uh, thing that sometimes we hear from a teacher is that the teacher should be like a vashra. So a vashra means a diamond. <clears throat> you know this, uh, our logo there uh, on the door? That is a vashra. That is a double vashra. And the idea is that it is a construction of diamonds. And the diamond is a prism. The diamond is like a crystal through which light can shine and uh, into all directions without being uh, what's it called? corrupted. So the divine light goes through the prism and into the Does that make sense? The divine light goes through the diamond and into the student without any interference. So the knowledge, which is very important, like in the yoga system, that there is such a thing as a body of knowledge, which is considered almost secret, and sometimes secret, that that needs to be passed on from one generation to the other. If that is not passed on, then everyone will always live in darkness, because then everyone has to reinvent the wheel every generation. Making sense? Yes. That is not very efficient for mankind. Um, okay. Oh, let me just breathe for a moment. <laughs> Do you have any questions about all that? I, I still have more to say, but maybe we can take it. Any questions? Any comments coming up? Good stuff. Good stuff? Okay, are you talking about the donuts or...? Uh... <laughs> yeah. You alright? Okay. Alright, so where should I go from here? So, when we start uh, the practice, the asana practice every time, we start with this, uh, um, what's it called? Invocation, prayer, mantra, chant, little recital of text. And you know it, it goes like this. <coughs> so, some of you might know what that means, but that little piece of, um, of text here is constructed of two verses from different Upanishads, uh, and um, it is one that Krishnamacharya and Guruji has chosen to accompany when we practice. 
and that text basically says exactly all the stuff I just said from a scriptural point of view. So we, so according to yoga, like these primary texts, they call them scripture. So here's what it means. It means I bow, I pray at the feet of the lotus feet, very special feet, uh, of the good gurus. Not the bad gurus, but the good gurus. The, <laughs> the gurus that is really knowledgeable. That guru who teaches the good knowledge, not wrong knowledge, not polluted knowledge, not knowledge that be benefits me, but doesn't benefit you. Showing the way to knowing this self-awakening great happiness. Yeah, how to move to a state of grace, how to move to a state of joy. Um, that teacher is the doctor of the jungle. <clears throat> so that means it's an intuitive doctor, it's a knowledgeable doctor that can take us out of the jungle, out of the danger, out of the darkness, out of the chaos of the jungle and into a place where it's possible to progress in life step by step. Um, he is the remover of the poison, of the ignorance, which is the, the con conditioned existence. Now here comes a little bit funny one. So this person we define as Patanjali. So Patanjali is a man or a school of people who um, sat down and collected all information about knowledge that there was about 1500 years ago. And then they sat down with this information and they systematized it into a method. How you can move from um, darkness to light, how you can move from non-yoga to the state of grace, to the state of yoga, um, little by little, and how you can do that healthily. <clears throat> so that man is Patanjali, and it is him that the last sentence go Pranamami Patanjali. He is the one that I prostrate to, he is the one that I bow to, he is the one that I surrender to, because he is the knowledgeable person. And then there's some information about uh, how he looks like. <clears throat> he is an incarnation of Adhisesha, which is the, the infinity, which is absolute truth, which is the universe, the universe and the pre-universe, before the Big Bang, before there was anything. It is uh, in uh, yogic uh, traditions uh, symbolized by a snake, a big snake, Adhisesha. Uh, the <clears throat> and then it also says, that Patanjali is white in color, sorry, with a thousand radiant heads, wow, and he is human form below the shoulders. So he's a thousand heads above the shoulders, a thousand infinite absolute truths that can perceive reality like that, above the shoulders, and below the shoulder he is taking human form. And he's holding a sword, a wheel of fire, Right? That's potentially for you. <laughs> now, would you mind if I just read a couple of quotes from here, um, from this book? So this book is Shankaracharya. So Shankaracharya is a very renowned philosopher and spiritual teacher that is the founder of the underlying philosophical, religious paradigm upon which uh, yoga rests. So he talks a little bit about what, he was an actual living person, 
he talks a little bit about what makes a teacher. So I thought, and then you can go home and think about it and tomorrow if your teacher is not living up to this, <laughs> then you fire her or something. No, okay, just put my arm behind my back. Right. So here is what uh, Shankaracharya says about teacher. He says, verse number six, chapter number one. The teacher is one who is in doubt. Is that the right pronunciation? In doubt, in doubt, in doubt, in doubt, with the power of furnishing arguments pro and con. He is uh, of understanding questions and remembering them. So that means that the teacher is there to pose questions to questions to the students and helping guide the students to their realization of an answer. Yeah, make sense. So the teacher should possess tranquility, tranquility, self-control, compassion, and a desire to help others. Who is versed in the scriptures and unattached to the enjoyments both seen and unseen so that means if you have a yoga teacher who always shows up in a new car then there might be an issue with the teacher according here to Shankaracharya just as an example right or if you have a yoga teacher who seems to be obsessed with the afterlife and getting into heaven that would also be a material desire. Does that make sense? It is just the unseen kind, where the you know, Mercedes is the seen kind. Okay. Uh, who has renounced the means to all kinds of actions? Um, that means that he is uh, contemplated and uh, he has some perspective on what it means to go for what he wants or not go for what he wants to take action when is a good time to take action and when is a good time to step back for instance is a knower of brahman and is established in it so brahman is absolute reality whatever that is so your teacher is supposed to have realized and be established in the knowledge of absolute reality um, Joseph, he's an apprentice here, he's been a year and a half, he's done in March. So right now he's not established in absolute reality, but he will be in March. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile... <laughs> so close. It's so close, yes. <laughs> the teacher should never be a transgressor of the rules of conduct, such as Harvey Weinstein stuff, <laughs> who is devoid of shortcomings, such as ostentation, I don't even know what that means, I hope you do, pride, <laughs> deceit, cunning, jocklery, what is jocklery? <clears throat> Fooling around, oh, like an artist, yeah, fooling around, jealousy, <laughs> falsehood, egotism, and attachment. <clears throat> he has the sole aim of helping others and a desire to impart the knowledge of Brahman, the uh, supreme uh, absolute reality, only. He should, first of all, teach the Sruti text, that is, the, all, in, all the knowledge that exists already, Sruti, what is heard, what we've heard, what we've learned before, establishing the oneness of, this, of his own self in Brahman, in ultimate reality. It's a high bar. 
Ya. Oh, yes. There's more. Like I'm not gonna go into the next one because you're gonna fall asleep. So that was a little bit about what it means to be a teacher. Um, but there's two sides to the Guru Shisha Parampara here. <clears throat> there is also what is a good student, you might ask next. What is expected of us when we go in and take uh, class? So <clears throat> Guruji, he used to say very, very simple. He used to say, oh, good student, obedient student. That was it. He didn't speak much English. So some of the things that goes into that, according to Shankara, is <clears throat> the teachers should thoroughly impress upon the disciple qualities of humility like humility which is the means to all knowledge so according to Shankara the first step to being a good student is humility which is very much like what Patabijo says obedience just bow your head and say I don't know so that means when you go into your yoga practice, your yoga practice, when you go onto your mat in the Gali class or the Mysore class, no one expects you to know. I don't know about you, but that just lifts a whole thing off my shoulders. I'm not supposed to know anything. I'm just supposed to listen and try to learn. That's all. And I think for me it is so relieving because in the rest of my life, everybody wants me to know. You know what I mean? Even if I go into Ace Hardware, I say, I need a screw. <laughs> you do this, they say, what kind of screw? I, I don't know. Can you help me? They're like, I have five other customers waiting behind you. So, um, but here, when you go into the yoga class, you are allowed not to know anything and simply move into a state of that humble humility of obedience and surrender but it's a difficult place to, to be because we can in my own experience I can only move there if I trust the person I put my life into their hands yeah it's making yeah. sense so that means Therefore, generally in yoga, we recommend that you go to the same teacher for a long time and build relationship and see if that works. We say, take 10 years to find your teacher. Preferably, you want to boil that down to one teacher at the end. <clears throat> I should also say that here at my life center, everyone is taught by us. We teach each other. Um, and the keynote, and I opened the shala here. We learned from Shala uh, Guruji. We've been teaching everybody that works here to the place where there's so many people here, like Emilia, for instance, are sufficiently standing on their own and going, looking for the information more towards Shala than towards Kimana. So they've surpassed the teaching on a daily basis that we can give them. And <clears throat> everyone else here from the, like Patricia, and, uh, who's a teacher here, also still a princess, and so forth. So um, what I'm trying to say is everyone works within the same paradigm and, to, and with the same light at the end of the tunnel, the same teacher, the shut up, and the 
Yeah, so you, you can, you should know that. Okay, some other qualities of, a, of the good student is respect, not ba based on age or looks. <laughs> yeah, this is why I still have a change, you know, a little bit. So, um, also commitment must be there. The, the, the willingness uh, to do effort. <clears throat> Devotion must, must be there, again, obedience must be there. Um, a teacher of mine uh, in, from India who I studied philosophy with, he says that there is a four-fold equation to how knowledge is best imparted in the student. 25% is the effort of the student. 25% is the effort of the teacher. 25% is the community that we are around like today that helps us in this journey. So we have peers to talk with and be around and support the journey. So it's not only our parents that says, what are you doing that for? You should get yourself a job. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then the last 25% is the teaching itself. So the effort of the students, the effort of the teacher, the community, and the teachers. That is what makes teaching work. Okay. I think that's what I had to say today. <laughs> um, but um, usually what we do on these uh, talks is that we finish up with a little open forum so then I'll try to shut up and then uh, like do a Q&A because maybe some questions has come up during this talk and maybe some thing you want to share has come up or maybe you just want another donut. <laughs> but, um, so you say we're not supposed to know anything so it's okay that you remember the name of the SR? Yeah, no, for that we will hit you very hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, in your case, <laughs> no. so of course it also means that when the teacher has provided you with a, a sacred bit of not information that we can get anywhere, but knowledge which is the right information in the right time, um, then it is our duty to hang on to that. Because if not, then you have to start over every day, of course. Let me tell you a funny story about um, the difference between knowledge and information. So, some years ago, Kina and I, we were in Denmark. <coughs> and Kina, she went to England for the weekend to teach. And she came back and she said to me, Tim, I have some red spots on my belly. And I said, oh, what is it? She said, I don't know, what do you think it is? Do you think it's bad? Do you think it's contagious? It's like, ooh. <laughs> what do you think is going on with me? I say, I don't know. But I know what to do. I will Google it. <laughs> so I look at my wife's belly and then I And you know you can do this like red spots in the belly and then you can click images. <laughs> some really nasty ones came up, but these were not so nasty. There was just some red spots. So, so I was looking and then I saw a picture. Ah, this is it. So I clicked that image and then I clicked the text. And then it said that she had syphilis. 
or by you? What do I still struggle with? Mm. Going back to my sore. Yeah. And having to like have to do it on my own. I'd rather just listen to someone right now. Yes. Going back to my soul. Like yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. I just I'm always in the line. Yeah. Because. Lit class is good. Don't feel bad about that. I know. Okay. But that's what I struggle with. <laughs> Thank you. Anything else? How's it going with your yoga journey? Yes. Uh, yes, I have a question. I want to know how yoga helps your body to, for recovering, for everything that if you have pain yes. in the knees, in the back, that helps you a lot. I mean, that's what the doctor told me to do, so I was like, okay, oh. I'll try. So I wanted to ask you. Was she the doctor of medicine or the doctor of the jungle? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the doctor of medicine is different. Like she said, the one that you Google and the one that said the, you know. Yes. So I wanted to ask you this question. That's a very good question. So <clears throat> the whole, so we have different uh, types of intensity in the asana practice, in the yoga practice, in Ishtanga yoga. Uh, we have the introductory level, the first series, and then we have the intermediate series, and then we have the advanced series, which is cut into four. It's very difficult. So the first introductory level is what we call the primary series. It's called Yoga Chikitsa. Chikitsa is Sanskrit, and it means therapy. So, or cleansing sometimes. So um, the idea is that the primary series is somewhat of a physical therapy session. So the idea with all these movements that you are made to learn, <clears throat> that you may like and may not like, is to get to balance your body. That probably you are at a place in your, in your life where your body is not feeling as delicious as when you were 10 or something like that. So therefore we need some help. That during the, the years of living you have, uh, there's some imbalances that has come to your body. And Guruji's intention with this primary series is to recreate balance in the body. So, the first thing is that some strength has been lost. And when some strength has been lost, for instance, in the spine, then the bones start to come together and they start to slide out of their ideal position and that can create some pain and later arthritis and lack of energy and stuff like that. Um, so then we're trying to create some some strength in the body, like around the spine, for instance, so that doesn't happen. Then in the same breath, in the same moment, we also need to find enough stretching and flexibility and buoyancy in the body so it's not stiff. So if you trip over the uh, curb, you're gonna fall like a plank, boom. But then you have pliability and softness in your body so you can catch yourself or something like that. Sense. Or if you want to lean forward and pick something up from your floor, that the back of your thighs are long enough to support that action. So you don't need to take the whole thing in your lower back. So therefore you <clears throat> create pain in your lower back. So when we have a balance between flexibility and strength basically in, in the physical body, then all the organs which is inside the container of the physical body, they start to work better. So if I sit like this all day long, in my ribcage and my <clears throat> and my lungs, is, in my ribcage is pushing down my lungs, so now I cannot breathe so well. 
my ribcage and my lungs is push, pushing down my heart. So every time my heart has to beat, the muscle of the heart has to work double. And then <clears throat> that pushes down on the liver. So now the liver cannot function very well. It pushes down on the stomach. So now I cannot digest my food very well. There might be pockets where food doesn't leave. So we have old food in my, in my belly. Uh, it might push down the intestines, so now uh, they start to uh, create a state of constipation. And <clears throat> now I can't go to the bathroom, now I definitely feel uncomfortable. Uh, all that pushes down on the whole reproductive um, uh, system, deeper in the body, like your prostate, your, uh, what do you call it? the ovaries, <clears throat> your bladder, and so forth. So then you also start, then these doesn't function very, very well. And the reason we sit like this is because we have not the strength to keep the spine straight, or not the willingness, or probably not the conceptual knowledge that this is better for me. Or the emotional strength to sit here. This is the Does it make any sense? So when we come out here, we feel exposed emotionally, we feel it's hard work, physically, and so forth. So then the yoga practice is attempting to get you that strength back, to get you that flexibility back, to get you that deep utility of your organs back. And when that starts to be in place, you will feel much better, and you will have more energy, you'll have more clarity of mind, you'll have more your surplus to go through your day, blah, 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 blah. And I feel that sometimes it comes back, like if you work this way with the computer, you have spine, yes. because yoga, yoga is fine for a few weeks, then yes. you come back again. Yes. You so. know, it's like your teeth. You cannot just brush them once a week. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay. not enough. So you brush your teeth once a week, then you get a hole, you go to the dentist, you fix it, and then you don't brush your teeth again, and then you have to go back to the dentist. So the body is the same. Or your garden. You need to take the weeds. You know, have, do you have a garden? A garden? No. no. Yeah. But you know if you, you know a garden. Yeah. Well, you know it, right? <laughs> if you have a garden, you need, you need to take away the weeds. And if you don't do it, then your roses will look really bad after a while. <laughs> and your mother-in-law will not like it. <laughs> so it is a maintenance job. Like, it is not just, I do it and then it's finished. We have to keep it. When we don't use the muscle, they fall away. So. Was that a, an answer? Yes. And all we do is we do a little every day don't need to do like, it's not like you fix once a month. Just take a little every day. Like you brush your teeth, comb your hair. Thank you. Thank you. How is your yoga practice going? Are you getting some benefits? Share with me a little bit, maybe some benefits. <laughs> oh, good. You get free donuts once a month. <laughs> yes. Could feel more, lads. <laughs> 
more relaxed. Yeah. From the day you come, yes. all that everything is it's stress relief a lot. It's good to hear. Yeah. It's an addiction. It's an addiction. <laughs> that is great to hear. <laughs> yeah, it can become a necessity at least, yeah, right? Yeah, can. Yeah. I I come here with a severe shoulder in the, in, in three, mm -hmm. and since I've been practicing, it's gotten so much better mm -hmm. with all the help of everybody. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really giving to me. Yeah, I can feel sometimes like pain a part of the body for a while, but after gone with the practice. Yes. Then after comes another part yes. and then I <laughs> it's the perfect. You know, we, we, we have some definitions of pain in the body. We say, if you have pain in your joints, that's not good. If you have pain in your muscles, oh. We don't call that pain. <laughs> we call that soreness. <laughs> so a little soreness in the in the muscles is good. It means you're working them. You're getting them more flexible, more strong, and so forth. Even in the joints. In the joints. Yeah. It feels good in the joints. But you feel pain in the joints. Was pain in the joint, but then gone. Good. Yeah, because opens up. become more gentle, gentle with my body and gentle with the way that I treat myself. You sound like a wise man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's happening. Like, um, sometimes I see that I'm pushing too hard while I'm, while I'm practicing. Um, and I realize just gentle. And when I go gentle, it flows better. And and I bring that to my daily life. You know, sometimes I'm just like so hard on myself. And so, Gentle. Yes. You know? yeah. And then it goes better. Yeah. 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 David Swinson, do you know who he is? Yes. He, he is a famous yoga teacher. He says, um, <laughs> always practice at 80%, never at 100. Because at 100, it becomes too lost. At 80, we can still think, we can still observe, we can still do it very consciously. I had a, a very I used to work in dance, I used to be a dancer. I had a dance teacher who was amazing. And he said to me, every big movement starts with a small movement. I think that's like the same idea. When you have to do something difficult, just start gentle, just start small, and then it will evolve into whatever it needs to be. To evolve into. Good one. If you need some advice in general, <laughs> I would direct you. What's your name? Rodney. R R Rodney. Rodney? Yeah. I would advise you to speak a little bit to Rodney. <laughs> Rodney. <laughs> All right. Shall we call it a day? Yeah. Thank Good. you. Thank you for coming. So thanks for sticking through that. I hope it wasn't as bad as I made it out to be. But I hope you got something out of that nonetheless. I wanted to let you guys know about some things Tim has coming up these next couple of months. In November 16th through the 18th, he's doing a weekend workshop, Know Your Body. 
which he will be getting into the intermediate series of Ashtanga Yoga, into some of those finer details, those energetic details. It's open to all levels. So even if you're not practicing the full intermediate series of Ashtanga Yoga, you're more than welcome. All you need is a curiosity to learn more about the method and the system of Ashtanga Yoga. And then in December, December 4th through the 9th, He'll be doing a six-day workshop series with morning Meister classes and afternoon workshop sessions. He'll be taking select postures from the primary and second series and teaching us how to adjust those postures. So learning the physical and energetic potential within those postures. So this is good for teachers looking to refine those skills of hands-on adjustments, but also for students just wanting to gain a deeper understanding of the asana practice. And that's it for now. He also has some things going on in March. That's a little further out. But if you're interested, check out our website. All of our information is there. You can sign up there even, or you can give us a call to sign up. Or if you just want to stay in touch, follow us on Instagram at Miami Life Center. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to see you. So come practice with us in South Beach. You can go practice in the morning and then go to the beach in the afternoon. We're like four blocks on the beach. It's beautiful over here in Miami, and we would love to meet you.